0: Okay, so we don't have our screen, so if you'll turn in your Bible, we'll go the old fashioned route, which is also, by the way, a great thing to do no matter what. Uh, Philippians 3 this morning. Um, I remember in elementary school visiting a church on Easter. I didn't go to church most Sundays, I went on Easter, and I heard a great sermon on proving the resurrection, and I still remember it vividly, and it's very impactful. Um, however, I think as a pastor, as I think about who comes into church on Easter, uh, what I'm afraid of is if I preach that sort of sermon, there will be like one or two people who are like, yeah, I'm not sure yet, but that helps. Where I find myself, and maybe you feel yourself in need, is not improving the resurrection, but really answering the question, what about the resurrection now? We, we, we long for the future of our resurrected bodies. We believe in the resurrection of Christ, but what happens Now, What role does it play besides the celebration of Easter? And we're going to look at at probably the classic or a classic place in the Scriptures where Paul explains that very thing. Uh, In chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul transitions to a concern he has for the people of Philippi. That is, there have been people that have come into their mix that are saying, you know, Jesus is real. Uh, Jesus did rise, but... There are other things you need as well. There are other things you should be doing to be a good religious person. And he even calls them dogs. Watch out for the dogs, he says. Um, Paul doesn't pull very many punches. But then he explains that he himself has a much better pedigree than even the star person who's come into their mix. Um, Unfortunately, at this point, he's writing this letter from Chains. But he says, I have more. And we're going to start at verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, he's referring to those markers, those things he had. He says, I I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I want you to focus now on verse 10. He unpacks this process. He says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection. From the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, are so amazed that Jesus has victory over death, and yet if we're honest, sometimes we're not sure what that power would look like in our very life. And I pray this morning we would gain just a little more glimpse, if not a large glimpse, of what it might mean to live, as Paul talks about in this passage, as those who have been raised with Christ. By faith, Amen. Um, years ago, when I used to ski growing up, we didn't ski when we moved to Colorado. But growing up, when I lived in Oklahoma, we went skiing. That's how it works. And we'd go to Crested Butte. And I remember with my brother, it was the end of a day, and my dad said, "We'll meet you at the at the bottom of the mountain." And he and I were going to ski a few more runs. And it started to snow, and the and the time started to come where the lifts are going to shut down, and the snow picked up, and it became what we would probably in Oklahoma call a blizzard. I don't know if those that live in Colorado would call that a blizzard, but it felt ominous. And we kept skiing and we would take a route and we'd come back to the same lift. And we'd go back up and ski down, trying to find the bottom, and we'd take a different route and come back to this same lift. And it happened so many times, be, we almost panicked until finally someone says, you know when you're skiing down, to, there's a lift you're passing every time. You've got to get up on that lift and go up again to get down the bottom of the mountain. That seems counterintuitive. It worked. We went up that lift. I think we got on. The guy's like, we're shutting it down like you're lucky you made it. And then we skied down and got to the bottom and had hot cocoa. And it was all glorious and beautiful. And I'm going to just do a reversal. So this might be the worst thing you can ever do in an intro. Reverse that. Right? In other words, pretend I wanted to go up the mountain and understand that, that often the way up is not the way up. That often the way up toward God, toward resurrection, is the way down. That is a mystery we see in, the, in Scripture. And I want to unpack that this morning because it's in this passage. And that is when we are struggling to grow in our Christian lives, when we are struggling to attain to the resurrection, often our, our logical mind would say, add more. Do more. Add something. Kind of get unstuck. And Paul says, No, actually go down first. That's the way you go back up. And so we're going to see that in this passage. We're going to look at the position, the process, and the potential that comes from the resurrection. So if you'll join me in looking at our passage closely, Paul is talking about these markings, these things in his life. And in verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I count or counted past tense as a loss. For the sake of Christ. What he is suggesting is that there are these things in his life that, for all of his life, especially his adult life with his success in religion, he had markings. Um, just to remind you of what they were um, in the first few verses there, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. He was in a certain class that was above others. As to, he says, um, as to zeal, he persecuted the church. He didn't just have ideas. He went out and did something with those ideas. And as to righteousness, he was under the law. He was blameless. So Paul is saying, this is, these were the things I used to value. These were what mattered to me. This is what drove me in my life. Uh, this morning at the sunrise service, <clears throat> Shane did a great job. He shared from Acts 9, which he preached on on Wednesday as well. And it's a really, it's the place where Saul, who, become, who is Paul, uh, is converted. And it's that moment where Saul meets the risen Savior. And for the first time in his life, he realizes all that stuff that used to matter so much just moments before became rubbish, right? But then in verse 8, he adds something. He says, indeed. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He, he gives this full description of who Jesus is. He longs to know Jesus. And Paul is saying, the position I'm now in is I met Jesus. It was in, I remember one of my professors talking about that moment where Jesus said, Saul, Saul, Saul. He says, why are you persecuting my church? Right? No. What does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am in a mystical union with my church. And when you go after Stephen or any of these people and pull them into prisons or stone them to death, you are persecuting me. And so the position that Paul became when he was converted was not as just a new idea, a new philosophy. He became in the position of a person who was in union with Christ. And all of a sudden, his identity was not bound in anything he had ever done before. That is radical. So I was thinking about this with what would that look like in our modern era? Um, I have a new office and I have empty walls and we discuss what would go on the wall. And what do you think about putting on your walls? Right? What do you do? Right? You put up things that, that, I'll put up a diploma. Here's where I went to school. You know, here's what's good about me. You walk in, you'll see my hobbies, my interests. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But follow the thought. What is on your proverbial wall? What are you walking around with that you want people to know about you? That you, you wish that people could see about you? That maybe you just come out and tell people about yourself? The things that, if they were stripped away, you would feel actually naked, right, and alone. Paul tells us his list, but then in verse 8, when he adds, I count everything as lost, he's opening the door to the fact that that was just the beginning. That there's this this infinite amount of things we can attach ourselves to. Um, Recently, because I have this new office, and Emily's moving up into our upstairs office, she kind of challenged me to clean out my office, my stuff, my junk, We had moved in, and I just put stuff up, like, on all these shelves, just set stuff out there, and that's where they remained. And I told her, I said, this is going to be painful because I'm a hoarder. Anyone? Like, I don't like this about myself, and I don't have a lot of stuff, but what I realized is I feel, like, an affinity to things. Like, there's a, it's almost like there's this memory when I touch the object, and it's like death to go, I guess I don't need that anymore. And that's what Paul says. He says, I consider them rubbish. What is rubbish? Rubbish is the stuff left over after the life is sucked out of it, right? Rubbish is when you go to a garage sale and you see that item for a dollar that you know they spent a hundred bucks on because it was going to change their life, right? It was going to, and you look over and it didn't, but maybe, (laughs) maybe it'll change your life for a dollar, Paul is saying, you don't need this stuff because of your new position. And let me just read us verse 9, and let's just rest on this for a moment before moving into the process. He says, I want to be found in him. That's in Jesus. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on on faith. This is what sparked the Reformation. This is the, the doctrine that changes lives. In this verse, Paul is talking about justification by faith. He's talking about adoption. He's talking about the fact that his sins are cast on Christ and he is now a new creature. This is new for him, at least at his conversion. And here, he's telling the Philippians this is everything. This is not just the beginning, this is where you need to rest, this is your position. Now, I want to to ask you to believe one thing. You're in one of two camps at all time. You are always seeking righteousness. We need to just understand that. One commentator said, really, for Paul, another uh, synonym would be just life. What is it you go to for life? The word righteousness sounds like religious. And some of you might be like, "Ah, I don't care about righteousness. But you do. You and I, we all care about being righteous right that our life is correct according to what we think whether it's religious things or irreligious things we want to be found correct right Uh, we hate the feeling of being out of order of of being looked at as being wrong and different and this is a part of our life I'll illustrate this as we go but I just want to draw your attention to how Paul says it's either a righteousness that comes from yourself based on law some kind of law whether it's the law in the Bible. Now, the Pharisees weren't following the Bible law. They were adding to it. You and I are the great, we can make so many laws, so many rules, so many ways to be right or a righteousness that comes from Christ. Now, if you buy into what I just said, even a little bit, then maybe as we transition to the process, you'll understand that for, for us to say, I have these things that make me feel clothed and right, right? These things that are on my wall, on my Facebook page, um, in my home, right? In my background, in my story. To then separate from those things would feel like loss. And that's what it feels like for Paul. So I want to draw us down to the second point, which is the process. Um, Paul says in verse 10, he has this hyphen, and he transitions, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. What Paul says right there is not three things. Look at it again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. That's not three things. That's one thing. Paul is saying in verse 10 that I may know him. And then he starts this, what would be called a chiasm, where he basically what he's doing is saying in his resurrection, in his sufferings, Those are two sides of one coin for Paul. That I know him in his resurrection and his suffering. It's two sides of one coin. And then he simply repeats it. And may share, or becoming like him in his death, suffering. And then he finishes verse 11. That by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection. So you have resurrection, suffering, becoming like him in his death, attaining the resurrection. And you hear it right there. Paul is saying this is the process. You want to go up? You want the resurrection? You've got to start with sympathizing and becoming like Jesus in his death. I actually thought about including the Philippian hymn, chapter 2. If you do come Wednesday night, we will look at that passage on humility. It dovetails beautifully in what we're looking at this morning. But for Jesus to be, um, to, to be we thought about putting like a uh, sound booth. No, I'm just kidding. Just embrace the world. I think last week it rained during the first service and so I heard that was loud. I wasn't here. I missed that on purpose. Okay, for those of you listening to the recording, there were sirens. Um, Paul or Jesus in heaven is perfect, okay? And yet his people are fallen and what Paul says in that Philippian hymn in chapter two, verse six, is that Jesus, though he's God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus' godlikeness drove him to the problem. It drove him to the needs. And in the same way Paul is saying, if I want to be resurrected, that's going to actually drive me towards sufferings. And primarily, and I've just been stewing and struggling on this passage all week. You can ask my wife for a testimony. Like last night it just clicked. Uh, yes, he's talking about a lot of suffering, but I think primarily... Because Paul's in chains. He's not talking about that right now. Paul has been you know, shipwrecked. He, we know his story. But I think the loss he's talking about is the loss that comes from severing the ties to all of your identity markers, to all the things that make you feel you. Remember in John 13 when uh, Jesus is in his final moments, and uh, he's trying to instruct his disciples. And we know from other gospels that several disciples were arguing over who's better. And then it comes time to have the Passover meal. And the person who would normally wash the feet isn't there. And so Jesus washes their feet. John tells us that Jesus, knowing where he came from, knowing who he was, knowing his position, moved in to wash their feet. And then when he resumed his place, he says, you know why I did this? So that 2,000 years later, churches can have fun feet washing events and say, hey, look what we're doing. No. It's that you would learn to wash one another's feet by moving in. To the degree that you know who you are in Christ, you will actually move towards suffering. That is the normal Christian life. You have to start by cutting off your own ties to the false identity markers in your own world, therefore being willing to be exposed as Jesus was, and then you will naturally want to move toward the problems in the world you live in. Um, two nights ago, we watched Moana. Anyone? A Moana fan? Raise your hand if you're a Moana fan. I'm now a Moana fan. Am I saying that right? Moana? Um, to be, I want to just kind of confess something to you. I'm I'm part of this. Uh, I just finished four sp- weeks of going to Seattle, spread out over six months. And uh, we would do reading and assignments, and then we would attend. It's the Allender Center, Dan Allender. And one of the assignments was to watch this movie before I went. Well, we went to Seattle. Emily joined me this time. And uh, I got to that lecture, and I had not watched the movie. That's part of my story <laughs> procrastinator. Don't check my emails. Sorry for those of you that have emails that have not been answered. Well, so I thought when I get back I'm watching that movie. Well, my girls, as you can imagine, have each seen it like seven times, and they're like, "I've seen that." I'm like, "Well, I haven't. Let's watch together." So Moana, I'm not going to do a good job on telling you about what she is, but she's a princess, daughter of a people. Someone tell me the group. I saw Kate. Or no, okay. She there anyway? They're on an island and Taki, Taki, anyway. And she has this urge in her soul to be an adventurer, but the the message she keeps being told is you cannot leave the island. Like, everything has to be within the safe waters. But in in her system is this desire to get out and go. And it turns out her grandmother tells her the story, and she learns, and so she does go out, and she finds her way. She's a wayfinder. Like, that's what she's built to do. She's designed to take her people. And as she learns their story, they used to all be wayfinders. Like that was what they did. Like they were people who would go find new islands and bring life to new places. But because of a disaster that happened, they just got stuck on this one island and it became problematic. That's the underlying theory. That's the underlying story. There's the gospel in that story. But here's why I tell you this story. The reason their island was dying was this demon <laughs> named Tecah. Okay, this is not a true story, by the way. It didn't really happen. And Tecah is this, oh, man, the animation is so amazing. But this kind of like lava-looking demon that's like just hurting the island and killing it. And she comes back with like this star thingy, and she comes right up to, t- to beat the demon. I'm ruining the story, I know. And she's going to beat the demon, take off. And you're like going, okay, here's the battle. Here's the marvel. Here's the moment. And what does she do? She sings a song. And here are the words. I have crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you. But this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. And that demon hearing what you might say is a type of a gospel message begins to just stop. And they put their, like, foreheads together, then she puts the star, and then the demon becomes a... What is it? A heart. It's like this swirly... Thanks, Bella. Sorry about that. If you're listening on the recording, it's a spiral heart. Um, and this, this demon becomes a beautiful, like... Anyway... God, what is she, a goddess? Okay, again, not in the Bible, but here's the point. You and I are that, so often we're that crusty, take-ha demon in our lives. We're, we're, we're just, we're crusty, and we're stuck. And Jesus looks at you and says, I have crossed the horizon to find you. When he rises from the dead, he says, I have come for you. This is your story Do you know who you are? And I want to just tell you another snapshot from the Allender Center that at the very end we do this thing, which we only did it this one time, where you have a microphone and you go around, like we're sitting in a group like this at tables and stuff, and you say things like, this was a really good. I thought this was wonderful. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever done that kind of thing? I am, it turns out, horrible at moments like those. Like, you think, all right, and he gets up and preaches, he likes to talk. Why wouldn't I just grab that microphone and, like, do a stand-up comedy routine? First guy out of the the box is a PCA pastor. There are only three of us there. And, like, he kills it. Like, you should have written it down and published what he said. I'm like, okay, so there goes my chance of ever standing up. And I just felt, I'm just going to tell you how I felt. I felt like if I stand up and talk, I'm going to crash the wall that I have spent four long weeks developing. A wall of great advice to my friends and my group. A wall of just, look at me, I have wisdom and insight. I'm gonna stand up and say the dumbest thing and they're gonna go, <laughs> and it's going to crash and I'm gonna die. That's what I'm up against in that moment. The second PCA guy there stands up Few moments later, and he has the microphone. I'm like, great. And you know what this guy does? He sings the song from Moana. <laughs> and the moment he starts singing, I, I felt as if my clothes had just been stripped. I was just like, What are you doing? I still can't believe he did it. Uh, and by the way, I never shared a thing, it was perfect. Uh, I'm like, Definitely, I'm in shock, I'm huddling. Okay, I know it's such a small thing, but there are real reasons why I don't want to go into that moment and talk. There are real reasons that kept me from being who I was meant to be, even in that simple moment. And when Paul says these things, he's not saying walk out of these doors and go into world missions, though that might be true for some of you. But he's saying by degrees, we grow when we see these problem areas, these areas where we're living out of this orphan nature and we're just kind of huddled down and we're terrified because we're living for a false righteousness. If I knew my righteousness was in Jesus in that moment, I would have stood up and said the right words. And if they, didn't, if they weren't great, who cares? I can't remember what anybody said but my friend who sang. And I don't like what he did. What are the things that define you what are the things that you're you're tethered by and i want to just say to you and it really came to me probably this morning a lot of it is tied to your story i mean i've read the, i've read the, i've preached through philippians twice prior to this sermon i've read this passage you've heard this passage we, we repeat this passage how many of you ever ever asked yourself this question where did paul find out about this pedigree like, did he just know it, or was he told? You are of the tribe of Benjamin, brother. You don't cry. Go out and be Paul or Saul, you know. You're a Hebrew of Hebrews. Do you know what happened on the eighth day of your life, little boy? We circumcised you. You know why? Because you are zealous. He had a story. He was trained and educated in the best schools. He had stamps of approval on him. He had his entire world cut out for him before he could probably even articulate an original thought. And when Jesus comes along and says to him, It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Not because those things don't help you. It's good to be trained, it's good to have schooling, it's good to have a tribe and all these things. But you're trying to get life from those things, and it will not work. And to the degree that you're resting on your identity and those things, you will suffer and you will fall. So just some points of application. Well, the final point to this discussion has already been discussed. The potential, and it's not a point. I'm just gonna make this concept and close this out, is that Paul says the potential, verse 11, is that he might p- by any means possible attain the resurrection from the dead. And the question is, is he saying I hope I go to heaven. No. He's saying, I know I'm going to heaven. I know that when I die physically, Jesus will receive me into heaven. Or if he returns before that, I will rise with him. He knows that truth. He is saying a very profound thing that in this world, in this life, I have this amazing ability to reach into the future based on the resurrection from the past and based on the resurrection from the future, I have the opportunity in Christ to see it played out in my life as though I were dead and raised right now. That's what he's saying. So just some application. And it's What are the things that you say like um, something bad happens in your life? You say, well, at least I have blank. What is that? At least I have my health right at least my marriage at least my what my job my money my hobbies my account what do you have the application is what things are tethering you here's the final illustration and it's not very good there's this blimp and it has all these cords okay and for the blimp to go up what do you have to do you have to crawl down to the base of a cord and like untie it and get physical and even use a knife Right, that's the image I want you to have. The way to get that to move up is by finding where those cords are tied. What are the things you're clinging to that is not the reality of Jesus Christ? That is the process of the Christian life until the day you die or he returns. The way you grow is by going into those places and confessing them. Um, Personal thoughts, personal note would be... um, This was a very hard sermon for me, and I, I mean, I wish I could tell you I usually get nervous, but usually I don't. And this was not coming together. And last night, I just felt like Jesus showed me something that I want to tell you, and that is this, and don't be offended. I don't care what you think. I mean, hallelujah. Like, I want you to like Jesus. I want you to like his gospel, but my sin was that I was like, man, I hope they like me. You know, I'm Sally Field. You know, they really like me. Uh, anyone? Sally Field when she received the Oscar okay, in 1985, Terms of Endearment, I believe. I want that so bad that when I'm in bed before an Easter sermon, I'm wondering if it's going to happen, and I felt Jesus say, do you believe anything you're talking about? Is it even true for you? Hallelujah, it is true. The resurrection is glorious. When you can cut those ties, it doesn't mean sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Your words will hurt me. You tell me you don't like my sermon, it's gonna hurt my feelings. But then you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go to Jesus, whose sticks and stones broke his bones. He rose from the dead, and I'm gonna say I'm raised with you, and that's behind me. Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. All right, let's close in prayer. That's the first clap I've ever had in the sermon. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. We love the resurrection. Of course we long. Uh, just a few verses later, Paul tells us we will one day, someday, hopefully sooner than later, have our bodies, our lowly bodies raised with yours. That's our hope. But in these few years, even few days possibly until then, let it be true that we are attaining the resurrection by living now as though we are dead in Christ and raised with him. Amen.